0: Big red bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm Cork's Red FM
1: Good evening ladies and gentlemen delighted you could join us on the Big Red bench this evening we're here with you until 7pm and it has been Sunday Sunday of hurling a cracking Munster final an epic Leinster final settled with the last puck of the game we we'll get your reaction from the Gator Grounds and Croke Park across the course of the next 60 minutes but just two absolutely brilliant uh, hurling games today Also coming up on the show today, we're going to talk to Cork's Hannah Looney, the issue of fixture clashes for Cork's dual players, uh, rearing its head again. So we'll talk to a very frustrated Hannah Looney about that a little bit later on. We're going to talk more about the legend that is Teddy Mack. We'll hear from Eric Sheen, chairperson of the Cork County Board. And we're going to talk golf and a, a big, big week for the sport as well. You're listening to The Big Red Bench on Cork's Red FM. My name's Rory O'Higgins. Delighted you could join us here on the bench on this Sunday evening, and uh, as I mentioned, I'm just going to go straight to Croke Park because an epic game. Kilkenny have beaten Galway by a single, one single point. Jonathan Higgins.
2: Time in in the Leinster hurling final, where Kilkenny have defeated Galway by 421 to 226. It was very much the game that the Leinster championship desired, and both teams served up a thrilling encounter. The sides were level eight times during a lacing clash, and almost throwback battle, with the game being played at a frantic pace after weathering a strong Kilkenny storm. Galway took a two-point lead in injury time. In keeping with the nature of the game, there would be one late twist, with Killing Butley right until to Galway next, with the last puck of the game. his fourth letter title in a row, while Galway will now enter the All-Ireland series at the quarter-final stage. Full-time score, Galway 226
1: Kikinney 4.21. Kenny are the Leinster champions. 4.21 to 2.26. You're listening to the Big Red Bench with sure 72-hour non-stop protection. What a game that was. Killian Buckley. Last puck of the game. Looked like Galway were home and host two points up. Killian Buckley steps up buries a shot into the back of the net to send uh, the uh, place into uh, the... any fans certainly into raptures. Brilliant ending to what was a brilliant game and a brilliant afternoon of hurling as well because Limerick have beaten Clare by a single point in the Munster decider to win their fifth consecutive title. 123-122 to 122 was the final score there at the Gaelic Grounds. Man of the match was Aaron Galan. He was the man who got the goal for the treaties. So just an absolutely incredible drama. It means that uh, they... Uh, Limerick are the first side to do a five and roll monster since Cork in the nineteen eighties. Just a couple of results to wrap up from uh, the Red FM Hurling League Division two today. We finished Ballincollig 224, Corsi Rovers 112, Middleton 426, Malham 113, Bride Rovers 319, St. Finbars 214. Tennis Novak Djokovic is the French Open champion. He has won a third title at Roland Garros. He defeated Kasparu today 7-6, 6-3, 7-5 straight sets win uh, for Djokovic. So that means it's his 23rd Grand Slam the most in history and it means he's now the first man to win each of the four Grand Slam tournaments at least three times. Incredible stuff from Novak Djokovic today and an incredible performance from him Golf Rory McIlroy, right in contention, heading into the final round of the Canadian Open. He is on 6-under par, Uh, he's on 12-under par, excuse me, he carried a 6-under par round yesterday, superb third round uh, from him. And so he is on a 12 under par he is two behind the leader who is CT Pan so McElroy will tee off in just about an hour's time and incredible stuff overnight as well Rashida Adeleke winning gold at the NCAA Championships in Texas breaking her own Irish record as well in the 400 metres in the process the 20 year old from Tala became the first Irish sprinter to win an NCAA title after she registered a meet record time of 49.20 that performance moves Adeleke into the top 20 on the world 400 metre all time list absolutely sensational stuff there we will start though with that monster final and that uh, win for Limerick today was uh a Cracking game, just a point separating Limerick and Clare. One twenty-three to one twenty-two was how it finished Aaron Glenn with the goal for Limerick. Let's hear from Limerick boss John Kiley. He's in conversation with Ashling O'Reilly.
3: Yeah, an extraordinary achievement. Stuff of dreams, really being honest about it, you know. Um, you know I was talking to Lads there earlier and you know this morning. Uh, I would have reflected on the fact that you know there was there was there was nothing wrong there was nothing wrong with 4 in a row either you know <laughs> yeah. uh, absolutely nothing wrong with it something we'll always be proud of as well you know had we not won today so um, just eternally proud of what these boys have achieved you know what they keep coming back to the table with the energy they keep bringing the hunger they keep bringing the resilience the tenacity the self belief you know that never say die attitude that they have they're just an incredible bunch of men. And I'm delighted for Paul as well, and all the coaches, all the backroom team. The amount of work that they selflessly put in, it's just incredible. You know, I'm the one here that does the interviews and whatnot, but like behind the scenes, they're the people that are the most important people that are really putting in tremendous hard yards and just driving the thing forward and being creative and innovative all the time. So I'm just tremendously proud of what Paul and the Leds have achieved.
4: And the game itself, very tough conditions out there. It's very warm here today and you trail by three at the break. What were you feeling at that point?
3: Yeah, a little bit disappointed with the goal, to be honest. With you. you know, the goal was on us. Like it was a bad error. You know, we left John Conlon, first of all get away to the sideline to get the, the puck out. We then left Tony Kelly get out of there forward into that middle third and pick up a loose ball from John Conlon. Then the ball gets in, and it's, it's, you know it's just a comedy of errors. For most so we were really really disappointed with the goal, and it made just things very very difficult for us. You know. If we'd gone in at half-time level, you know, with that little bit of a breeze that was there, and playing into that far end where we normally like to be going into, like, that's that's perfect. Like, you know, you're OK because you've plenty of motivation to drive on. You can't get complacent or anything like that. So, disappointed at half-time, but yet we addressed a few things that were going wrong. You know, we just were last to the break. We are second to the break. Uh, we were doing very badly on Claire's puck out in the first half. They were cleaning it out, and we weren't getting lucky look in with the short or the long puck out. So you know, we just had to bring more energy to the table. And I think that's what we brought in the second half. It's just more energy, more intent, you know, and that bit more ferociousness about what we were doing, you know.
4: Yeah, some of the moments in the first half it was a little bit uncharacteristic for Limerick, and as you said, lacked that little bit of energy. But then came out in that second half and just found another gear.
3: Yeah, like. We knew we had to, you know, we just knew it. And we were disappointed, as I said, as half-time. You know, we had made on characteristic errors, missed pick-ups, dropped balls, missed ha- placed hand passes, just sloppy stuff, you know, that we were disappointed with. But listen, as I said, these boys are resilient. They're tough. they regroup. They don't allow things to affect them in the long term. They don't allow them to put them back. You know, like they really, for example, had a shot in the second half. You know, topped it. You know, another day that could really affect your mindset. And what does he do? He turns around and sends in the most beautiful ball to Arnold for the next goal on his next play. What an incredible play. Hats off to that man. Just brilliant, you know? Yeah,
4: serious character. Yeah. And out here today, like, the noise was incredible. It's my first monster final. Oh my God, the noise was just something else. And I can't imagine for the players what that must have been like. You, you mustn't be able to hear yourselves calling for the ball.
3: Can't, nobody can hear you <laughs> outside of at all. It's, it's hard to even hear beside you in the sideline. But, yeah. you know, it was a special occasion. You know, I think you know the people here in the stadium and Limerick County Board can take uh, tremendous you know pride in the occasion that they created, the atmosphere they helped to create here today, as well as the supporters from both sets of teams. I think they were just incredible. You know, we came up the Innis Road on our way in here through probably 15,000 Clare supporters, so respectful. You know, and yes, you knew there was something special in the air, and it, it, it would put the hair stand on the back of your neck coming up to that road through that crowd. And a, a, a Munster final day, but yes, it's a special occasion, and a great memory for the back of our minds to keep for years to come please God
1: Yeah that's John Kylie there speaking to Aisling O'Reilly after just a cracking win over Clare today at the Gaelic Grounds let's hear from his opposite number Brian Lowen of Clare
5: yes yeah, you're disappointed um, uh, not to um, get the results put a lot of effort into it and um, uh, just didn't get over the line
4: Just the scenes at the end there you know people had ran onto the pitch before the final whistle was blown do you think that had any effect on the game at all?
5: Look, I don't know um, I think you know we were anxious to get our quick buck out, out and uh, we got it out um, but the referee pulled it back um, so then the, the, the crowd figured that it was um, that it was over and um, but it wasn't there was another 30 seconds left so um, look got the crowd back off the field and played the last 30 seconds and uh, we didn't manage to score
4: you played the last 30 seconds and maybe unlucky not to get a free
5: yeah, yeah, we find it very hard to get those kind of frees. Um, um, yeah, so that's uh, that's disappointing.
4: It's frustrating. Obviously, a lot goes in. It comes down to point margins always, especially in these type of games, that not getting those decisions.
5: Yeah, sure. Look, um, uh, what can you say? You know, um, yeah, it's frustrating. We'd have loved to have got a free, but we didn't.
4: You went in at half time. A goal up at that point. Played really well in that first half. You're probably thinking at that point that. You're happy enough where you're at?
5: Yeah, we were happy enough at halftime. We probably could have gone in a little bit more ahead. You know, um, just before halftime, we were we were um, uh, we were doing well and um, probably left a couple of scores uh, behind us. Um, so that's really the story of the game. Really, we just left scores behind. us.
4: Yeah, a few wides and just some balls dropping short, and that's probably in the end what cost it.
5: Yeah, I think that our stats lads, lads were telling us now that our shooting efficiency was only around fifty percent, and theirs was approximately seventy. So, you know, that's. Um, that's tough
4: when you're playing the the reigning all-Ireland champions five in a row now Munster champions you know the the best in the game it's unbelievable to be up there and a point behind you know and obviously have bet them up to now as well
5: yeah well look um, sure look that's the nature of it like the um, yeah that's the standard that you want to get to um, and um, sure that's that's it how
4: do you regroup now after this
5: Sure, we just go back and um, get our um, try and get our, our, our work done and prepare for the next day, um, whoever that's going to be. So um, we have two weeks to prepare, and uh, that's what we'll do.
4: Have you had a chance to speak to the players in the dressing room? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm.
5: yeah. So we'll will prepare. We'll 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 do what we can. We'll try and um, uh, respond. Um, uh, we have a great bunch there. Um, they're a great bunch before the game and just because we lost doesn't mean that they're a bad bunch. So we've got um, got a great bunch there and um, we'll um, try and put our best foot forward.
1: Yeah, it's Brian Lowen there speaking after uh, the defeat to uh, Limerick today. So you could hear the disappointment in the Clare boss's voice there when he was speaking to Ashton, just absolute devastation. Lost by a point, probably should have had a free ride at the end as well. You can hear how annoyed he was when he was talking to Ashton about that. He says it's hard for us to get those kind of frees, but it is victory for Limerick today, 123 to 122, was how that finished, hopefully here from the victorious Kenny Camp before we get out here at 7 p.m now the issue of fixture clashes for Cork's dual players is right back in the spotlight again Cork's camogie team are in action against Down next Saturday at 3pm but at half past seven that night, the Rebels' ladies football side are set to begin their All-Ireland campaign. They take on Galway in Salt Hill. Now, Cork have four dual players, Hannah Looney, Libby Coppinger, Orla Cahalan, and Aoife Kylie. So this is obviously having a massive impact on them. It's obviously something that shouldn't be happening. Now, I spoke to Hannah earlier this week as part of Super Valley's Wear With Pride Laces campaign. OK, I am delighted to be joined now by Cork Ladies Football and an LGBTQ plus advocate, Hannah Looney, at the launch of Supervalues Wear With Pride Laces campaign as part of the initiative. Rainbow Laces will be available to purchase in over 222 Supervalue stores nationwide for Pride Month, with proceeds going to support Belong to LGBTQ plus Youth Ireland. Hannah, you're very welcome to the Big Red Bench first off. Thanks, Rory.
6: Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for coming on. Um, can you talk to me a little bit, Hannah, about the campaign and the importance of it first off?
6: Yeah, of course. You know, look, firstly, it's um, a huge honour for me to be an ambassador for the Super Value Where We're Pride campaign. Um, you know, back in 2021, I think Super Value started to launch their community includes um, everyone. And I think that was very important because, um, look, D&I is something that I'm very passionate about, and maybe the GA was just slacking behind slow a small bit to kind of deny trends and ways that we can be more inclusive. And I suppose Super Value highlighting this back in 2021 really shown great visibility about it. You know, Super Values, um, a pillar in many communities. And so is the GAN. For them to come to get, come together really um, started to show a great message. So I'm just delighted to be a part of it. I think it's really, really important um, that we continue to um include everyone and especially in the lgbtq plus community Um, and the month of june pride is very important to us but we must also look at and spreading good messages outside of june as well and just a a quick thing on belong to i think they're a fantastic and a charity and the work they do for youth services for the LGBTQ plus community and uh, here in Ireland is phenomenal. So for SuperValue to come on board with them, it's just a huge, huge message. And I think this campaign will be hugely important and hugely beneficial for for the youth around the country um, and including uh, this community.
1: And inclusivity is the word, I suppose, Hannah, for people mm-hmm. who may be, I suppose, struggling with their sexuality and little things like this. They're not little things. They're massive. They really, really help.
6: Yeah, exactly. You know, visibility. Is key, and I don't think we can ever um, emphasize that enough. You know, even if you just look at, like, take sport for example. When I was growing up, the lack of sport women on, on my TV was so low, whereas now, though, there's that's increasing and increasing ever more. So, so to increase um, role models in the LGBTQ plus community can just really, really impact um, our youth going forward. And just, you know, like for me. Being part of the community, whatever about sexuality, it's just um, being your best self. And um, mm-hmm. because if you can't be the best version of yourself, uh, whatever you want to achieve in life is going to be an extra extra struggle. So that's the kind of message I want to get across. And um, this month, uh, and being a part of this campaign is, it's so important. And um, to be the best version of yourself, and you know whatever it takes for you to figure it out. You know, keep keep chatting to people and don't be afraid to be proud and don't be afraid to be vulnerable and and courageous and stand up for what you believe in. So those are kind of the key messages that that I like to like to promote.
1: Do you feel it's gotten easier for players, Hannah, to to come out publicly with their sexuality in recent years or is it still, I suppose, quite difficult for, for, for people?
6: Um, I think it's definitely improved a hundred percent. You know, I remember speaking to um, ex-teammates and, and friends of mine that I hold in the highest regard, uh, Gemma O'Connor and Eva Marion, about the, the real challenges they had to face um, when they were com- coming out, and not so long ago. And um, when you look at it, you know, whereas, whereas for me, I'm very fortunate that my experience has been um, nothing but um, love and support, and. Um, you know, it really hasn't faced has, hasn't faced me at all. So when you look at that's only been in the space of ten years, that's been a huge improvement. Um, I suppose the male game probably has a long longer way to yeah. go. And um, not really sure what the solution is there, what the fix is. You know, um, when we look at the game, there's probably no openly out GA um, intercounty stars there at the moment. And you know, I think the big thing to to help that and to promote that is just. we Allyship is key and and men and women need to be allies um, for the LGBTQ plus community. So hopefully we can see continue to do so and um, make uh, these GA environments and these dressing rooms a place where where everyone can be themselves.
1: As you said at the start, Hannah, the GA may may have been lagging behind a little bit. Do you feel like they're catching up now or is there still areas in which they can improve?
6: Yeah, definitely catching up. When you look, there's a DNI um, department in LGFA, Kamobi, GA, and there's plenty of campaigns going throughout the year, not just for the LG Two dq plus community, for other communities alike. Um, so, you know, as I say, the big the, the the big things are awareness, visibility, and education, and we must commit c- continue to promote promote that. And the GA are definitely coming on board. But I think, you know, the ideal scenario where we need to get to is is that. People don't need to come out that mm-hmm. wherever they go, it's an environment that they can be whoever they want to be. And um, you know, we're probably a long way off that. But my hope would be for the next generation coming out that it wouldn't matter if they bring home boyfriends, girlfriends, they wouldn't have to explain themselves, you know. So that's the big thing and you know, we're probably a bit bit off that yet in, in many sense, but I really appreciate the initiatives that the GAA are trying to achieve to to make this um, to make this environment a lot more inclusive.
1: And even the Camogie Association with their, their Pride round of fixtures as well must be a massive help.
6: Yeah, it's brilliant. And Camogie have been brilliant, you know, the last couple of years with their Pride campaign and their Pride round. So it, it's brilliant to see. And again, it's just highlighting disability. It's highlighting education. and um, It's opening the door for teams to have these conversations that everyone can be included here and everyone can be themselves. So,
1: uh, Speaking of Camogie, just looking back on the weekend, just gone not an ideal clash with Galway, I suppose. What did you learn from that game?
6: Yeah, look, hugely disappointed, um, you know, it's hugely disappointing t- t- to lose to Galway again, and in my eyes, um, there's probably no excuses in, in a lot of sense, but um, I guess, you know, there's no point dwelling on the past too much, it's the first round of the first game of the season, um, we knew going into that game, win, lose or draw, wasn't going to define us, and um, What we can learn from that will really help us to propel us going forward. You know, we have huge belief in the group. There's huge um, belief. Training is going very well. Um, The goal very much is to win an All-Ireland in August. But to get there, we have to focus on the next training session and we have to focus on the next game. So um, that's where our heads are at at the moment. Uh, Mm -hmm. We'll take the learnings and we'll keep driving.
1: And how much is that, I suppose, the All-Ireland final defeat last year, I suppose, motivating you? Do you feel like there's an All-Ireland in this team this year?
6: Yeah, of course, you know, and I like, you know, we, we've lost in 2021 and we've lost in 2022 and that's not easy, that's huge and it's very disappointing, but there's resilience being built, there's a team, a very special group of players um, that I'm very proud to be a part of and I think we're all kind of rowing the same boat at the moment and we all need to continue to row that same boat and there's definitely an All-Ireland in this group, but as I said, to get there, we can't run away from ourselves um, and we have to keep it very much in the here and now and, and that's what we're doing at, at the moment as a group.
1: Don't so down up next for you guys you must be eager to get back on the pitch and I suppose rectify what happened against Galway.
6: Yeah, of course. And and that's it. And look, you know, it's, for me personally, it's, it's um there's something kind of standing in the way of that at the moment with fixed fixture clashes. And so it makes it a lot harder to kind of, prepare with that in the back of your mind. Um, but I know the team as a group, you know, we've taken that learning, we'll sit down, we'll do the video analysis, we'll talk through things and we'll work that bit harder on the pitch because that's all we can do is we've got to keep improving and keep improving and look, as I said, it's not going to define us that, that loss to Galway, it's not ideal, but we're moving on to the next game and the next game and the next game after that.
1: That's something I wanted to talk about, Hannah, as a, a dual player, you're one of the rare breed. so I'd say a dying breed of, of dual player, given the, the time commitments that are involved. Or, um, for both codes, it must be very frustrating therefore that fixture clashes are still an issue and are still coming up.
6: Yeah, no, look, Rory, it's hugely, hugely frustrating and I'm hugely disappointed, uh, dejected, disheartened, angry, all the all the following emotions at the moment. And um, you know, I try to put it aside so I can focus on my preparations as much as possible. But it's very hard for myself, Libby Coppinger, Ify Healy, or Cahalan at the moment. You know, you say we're a dying breed, but there's still four players yeah. um with a huge stay um, in Cork at the moment. Look, me myself and Libby have been around the block uh for a good few years now, but Orla and Efer are two high prospect talents in both Komogi and football and are showing that at at the moment. And, you know, it's just been a huge breakdown of communication between the Komogi Association and the LGFA once again. And, And in my eyes, it's just unacceptable. Look, we're here, we're doing our best, we're representing the codes to their highest regard on and off the pitch uh, and we're not, we don't ask for a lot, you know, women's sport have a lot of other battles to be fighting and to be sitting here and talking about dual cl- clashes, it's just, it's just really, really frustrating, you know, we're doing the work, we're making it happen, we know we can do it and we're very fortunate down in court to get the sports to allow us to do it and um, and it's just very disappointing because, look, there's a dual clash coming up Saturday week. And right now I can't see any way out that this isn't going to happen Um for a knockout, a, a spade, let's call it a spade a spade, a knockout championship match. Mm. You know, and we've talked about, we're talking here about Pride campaign, which I'm so proud to be a part of because uh, di- promoting diversity inclusive is very close to my heart, but uh, the Komogi are promoting a pride round for the second round of the Championship, which is our match against them. And there's a possibility that I mightn't even be there, um, which would be very disappointing for me on a personal level as well. Um, So, you know, again, I don't, I'm begging the associations to kind of intervene and not let, let this happen Saturday, because if it's a case that the four of us, are missing out in football over Camogra that would just be hugely disappointing and hugely disappointing for our teammates, our players, and our managements And and, and I know, you know, we won't look. I'm here and say I, I'm here and I'm talking about it right now. But you know, after after that, it'll have to be packed on, and, and I need mm-hmm. to. Kind of, and we all need to focus on the preparations that we need to do as a team. And um, you know, we try to avoid these distractions as much as possible. But I think. Uh, we can't just brush this under the, the yeah. on, under the under the carpet. It's, so it's what's,
1: what, what's the solution so for next Saturday in your mind, Tana? What can be done?
6: Well, like it shouldn't come to it shouldn't be happen it shouldn't be happening right now. You know, I suppose when you look at again, I don't have the ins and outs um, on what goes on about making these fixtures. I'm just looking at it from my point of view. Uh, the Camogie or the foot the would have had their fixtures out a couple of weeks ago. Um, the football. Um, all Ireland qualified fixtures are only coming out in, in recent weeks but when we're looking at each group there's two games to be played so we've gone away in temporary to play there's three weekends to play it the football fixed those matches the two weekends the come were playing you know as I said we're not playing a match this weekend there could have been a match played here maybe we're not playing a match the weekend after and um, you know as I said the Clare or Clare again, again or game against Clare and again our game against Tip there in Kamubi football, there's there's a good chance there's gonna be a clash there. Again, you know, we don't even ask for much. I appreciate the split season makes things um that bit harder um to get matches in, but you know, there's a weekend there where we could separate it. There's a weekend where we could separate it, put matches on different days. Um, you know, as I said. Not asking for a lot, I don't think, and it's just very frustrating that there just seems to have been no communication between the LGFA and the Cokie and the sense. And, you know, it, it more more so frustrating because we're having this conversation again. I feel like mm-hmm. it, it has been a bit better in recent years, and to be fair to the associations, they've both come out with statements saying that they support the dual player where they can as possible. And... Um, but we're back to the drawing board again this year. There just seems to be all thrown out the window. And, you know, you'd be sick of trying to go onto social media and put up a tweet to draw attention to it. you are sick of, you know, I'd say poor Gemma Begley and the GPA. You know, the amount of work she has done to try to get the, the organisations to talk is phenomenal. And it's the same story over and over again without any change. What's that? Insanity, as they call it. You know? So <laughs>
1: So yeah, it seems to usually, be like t- it seems to be a tale as all as time, the LJSA yeah. and the Mogey association just not talking to each other about situations like this.
6: Yeah. And again, take jewel players out of it. Like the big thing for me is just so like women in sport have so many things to fight against. We need to champion women in sport. How powerful would the organizations be if they spoke together and communicated and collaborated on things outside of dual fixtures, you know? They're two brilliant sports that have a huge following. Um in both codes and huge potential to grow the game and come football, you know, if we work that bit more together, who knows.
1: Yeah, and just again, you touched on it there as well Hannah, but like the personal like disappointment of you having to choose one sport over another, it, it must be heartbreaking.
6: Uh, it is, it is and like, I, you know, it's, I don't even know where to go. and I haven't even thought that far yet, um, you know, and, and to be fair, our management's are brilliant and um, Matthew Jimmy with and Shane Renan with football are just brilliant to kind of support us in, much, in as much as possible so look they're doing everything on their end to fight to not have fixture classes and they'll do everything on their end to set us up for success um, whether we're playing football or camogie but like to even have to be even here sitting here debating am I going to play a football or camogie match is just it's disappointing and frustrating.
1: Are you expecting a resolution?
6: No, no, I'm not. Uh, unfortunately, I'm begging. <laughs> if I could beg any more that the and associate Kimogie and Football would um, resolve. Um, but, you know, we've been there before and I, I can't see them resolving, unfortunately. But you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be a bit hopeful and we'll just hope that whatever outcome is the best interest for our football and Cork movie can be made uh, and we'll drive on in
1: that sense. Well, fingers crossed. Um, you can find um, a resolution. Footballers have been going well, months to find win over Kerry. The confidence must be very, very high in that camp.
6: Yeah, look, exactly. Look, this is a, a more better conversation to we having is talking about uh, <laughs> the, actual, the actual sport itself, um, which we must doing doing. Uh, yeah, you know, none of us are probably surprised about... Um, our performance uh, against Kerry, you know, we've been working really hard and we we're training very hard, and there's huge belief in, in the group, and it was just phenomenal to see that kind of come off. And I suppose it came off in the first half. I think if we look back in the second half, we'd probably be a bit disappointed that we we kind of dropped our standards a bit and kind of slipped slipped down a bit in a lot of things. So you know, as I said, that because of that, there's plenty plenty of things to work on. But mm. I suppose we're happy in the direction we're going. But the big thing is that we can keep going in that direction. Um, but for now, it'll be next training session and it'll be the next match. You know, there's, there's no easy, especially in the football championship this year, there's no easy fixture. There's no easy match. They could, you couldn't bet against any team. Um, so we just want to put ourselves in a position where we can really set ourselves up for success. And to do that, we just need to focus on the small things and focus on what the here and now.
1: Yeah, and Darren O'Sullivan was named Player of the Month yesterday. I always find when a player is named Player of the Month, it's a, a massive compliment for the rest of the team because it shows the team is doing well.
6: Yeah, it's class. And like I just I keep joking about joking to Darren about shooting boots that she must keep them now for the rest of the year. She had a phenomenal game against Kerry, you know, kicking points for fun from all angles. So Oh, look, if Deere, as I said, if Deirdre can keep those shooting boots on for the rest of the year, we'll be in will be in a great position. But you know, you'd be delighted for Deirdre. You know, she'd been struggling, um, struggling with injuries in the off season, and she just kept putting the head down and kept working hard and stood up when it matters. And that's what's going to be important for Cork. You know, it mightn't be Deirdre who'll stand up the next day, but players need to stand up when it'll be ma- when it matters. And um, you know, to instil that belief in the team that we're all leaders is is very important to us at the moment.
1: And um, the game is coming up um, against Tipperary on July first. We ignore the potential like uh, fixture clash for the moment. Yeah. It's going to be played in Clonakilty. Uh, the game against Waterford was played in Clonakilty a couple of weeks back. It was a massive success, huge crowd at it, and I'd imagine you're all looking forward to playing Clonakilty again. Yeah,
6: it was absolutely brilliant. And to be fair to Clonakilty, um, GA, you know the the setup and the organisation um, that they put in place. Was, was fantastic it was second and on it was really professional and you know it was so so good to have a big crowd there and it really makes a difference you know that the crowd was literally cheering on every ball up and down the pitch and you know have all the young girls thereafter so intrigued and so interested in the game of football and that's what it's all about at the end of the day is making sure that we're um, leaving that Cork jersey in a better place for that younger generation coming through because um, so to be able to have an influence and, and you know fair play to all the parents that are coming out and bringing, bringing their kids to a match and you know I'd hope we'll get a huge crowd there now again the next day and um, down west so it, it was phenomenal and you know fair play to Climate Hill DJA and it's no surprise that we're going back there because it was a really good experience for all
1: the players and it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today at the launch of super values where with the pride laces campaign fingers crossed the the, the clashes can get sorted because I know how frustrated you are just even talking to you today so fingers crossed that can get sorted but thanks for talking us and very best of luck for the season's ahead Yeah, it's. um, You can, as I said, look, you can just hear the frustration in Hannah's voice there talking about um, the fixture clashes that have come up and she said shouldn't be coming up. um, So it's not. a pleasant situation for her or the other dual players they'd be coming Orla and Aoife Coy to be involved in but uh, my thanks to Hannah for talking to us so openly and honest, honestly and passionately about that earlier on in the week we're going to take a quick break when we come back we're going to talk golf we're going to talk a little bit more about the legend Teddy Mac The Big Red Bench on.
0: Saturday and Sunday from 6pm Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red
1: FM. You're listening to The Big Red Bench with sure 72-hour non-stop protection. We're here with you until 7pm. Thank you very much indeed for tuning our way this evening. Um, yesterday in the show we talked to Thomas Mulgahy about the legend that is Teddy McCarthy. Um, the Sarasfields and Glamour Club and Passway. suddenly earlier on this week at the age of just 57. A huge crowd turned out. Uh, Teddy's funeral yesterday in Glenmire and the day before as well for the removal. Uh, I'm going to hear a bit more about Teddy and his life. Uh, for more about Teddy the player, I spoke to Dennis Hurley of The Echo on the legend that is Teddy Mac. OK, Dennis Hurley of The Echo joins me now to discuss uh, the passing of Teddy McCarthy yesterday at the age of just 57. I think, Dennis, you put it best in that when you become a legend you you're not known by your full name and that was 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 the case with Teddy Mac. I
7: oh, sure, absolutely, uh yeah. you know, you, you think of you think of the greats in, in, in Cork, you know, JBM everyone knows who you're talking about. If someone says Roy, you don't need that surname and same thing, Teddy Mac, like no one no one's gonna be wondering, is it you know, a Teddy Mac Sweeney or anything like that? Like there was only one Teddy Mac and you know, his he had a record that could match anyone and then of course he had the one unique record which, you know, I I don't think it's I don't think it's in any way exaggeration to say it won't be matched. Another county might do a double in the future, perhaps, but I don't I don't think there's any chance that you'll have a dual player winning the two medals in the one year. So, you know, whatever happens, he he has that place in history and for that reason he'll always be talked about as long as GA is talked about.
1: And there's some fantastic photographs circulating in the papers today, and they all seem to be of Teddy fielding a high ball, be it a slitter or a football. And he's just seemed to be just an incredible all-round player, Dennis.
7: Well, uh, absolutely. You know, he um he, he wasn't. You know, it, it wasn't as if he was. You know, a guy who was six foot seven or anything like that, and he just had to, you know, pop himself off the ground and catch it. Like he had an incredible spring, like to just get up. Get up so high, you know, to catch a sitter or or a football. Like you know, it, it's I suppose it's it's something that we don't see as much nowadays. Um, you know, and and the authorities are trying to um, kind of you know, trial new rules and stuff like that to 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 get a return to the high fielding. But like you know, Teddy was only five foot eleven, and he was he was able to just get such a spring. Like and in those days, whenever every kick out and pucker was contested, you know, it was a massive asset for Cork and Sars and Glenmire to have someone like this, you know, who was w- one of the best ever uh, at fielding. Like, and, you know, it, it, it's it's the thing that everyone remembers about him. Like, you know, the, the big dramatic moments like his rising to, to catch the ball and a guaranteed way to to get the crowd going. Like,
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you can see by, I suppose, the volume of tributes that have been paid to him today, then it's just how highly thought of he was in GA circles.
7: Oh, sure, absolutely, you know, and it, it, it hasn't been just from within Cork, you know, everyone, as well as a lot of people are, are, are of a certain age, I, I suppose to say, of our own age, Rory, have, have the memories of a childhood when there wouldn't be as many matches on, you know, mm-hmm. you might only have the provincial final and the all Ireland semi-final, and because Teddy, from 87 to 90, was playing in those games for four straight years, he was bound to, um, you know, uh, Embed himself in the in the consciousness. I think uh, comedian Colm O'Regan, he 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 said, um, you know, growing up, everyone, every kid in Cork who caught a ball above their head would have to show Teddy McCarthy. Like you know, he was (laughs) he was just, you know, every everybody everybody knew him, and everybody, I suppose, everybody's dreams were being lived through him. You know, because he did he did what we all wanted to do. He he got to play for Cork in both codes, and he got to win the All Ireland in both codes. And you know, for most children growing up in Cork at that time, that that was the dream. And I think people outside Cork then appreciated what an absolute competitor he was. You know, just the the will to win and just to get everything out of himself. Uh, I, I think you know, in the GAA, obviously you have the rivalries and things like that, but there is always a deep appreciation of of a, a top performer and, and I think you're seeing that manifest itself now today with Teddy.
1: And as you said Dennis that uh, achievement in 1990 likely never going to be reached again I mean like going Callaghan King close a couple of years ago be a decade apart um, of yeah. medals in both codes but like it's th- like to win a double it, it's never, you're right the way the GA is now it's never going to be achie- achievable again.
7: No, no because the, especially with the way the, the schedule is now it's so tight no no player as much as the will might be there among people for it to happen, no player is able to play dual, um senior in, in both courts for a, a county in the top tier in, in both. Um, and so I suppose obviously think things fell well for Teddy in that Cork happened to be going well at the time and he played a part in that. Um, and, you know, it, it is that bit of history and, uh, you know, I'd be highly surprised if, if it was if it was ever matched um and and you know for for that reason like he he will always be the one that you can say like you know he he did something nobody else did
1: at club level as well then it's just um it's a distinguished career with both Sarsfields and Glammire uh, a couple of uh, county football titles in the McKilly as well so just incredible on the club level as well
7: yeah that's it you know that that's, that's what you want your county players to do to come back and be able to lift the guys around them and to you know to perform at the same level with their clubs or divisions as they did with Cork you know Ian would always be regarded as a a, a strong hurling um, heartland but in, in the 80s they they won those two football and Teddy was, was central to those and then you know he helped them win the intermediate football he unfortunately for him and Sars they didn't win the county um, during his career um, they got to the final in 89 last lost to the Glen but um uh, the one of the games on route to that final, um, the 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 semi final that year, um, Teddy Teddy's performance at centre back, um, when they when they beat Saint Finbars after a replay it has gone down in in Cork hurling lore. Like you know, he just absolutely dominated the game, and it was just a pity for them that they didn't make the breakthrough. That time they had to wait uh, on, until two thousand eight um to, to get back to the top. But, you know, Teddy Teddy remained a, a great um a great clubman. Um I think Keith Keith Mulcay was talking to, to Neil Neil on, on, on Wednesday morning, um just talking about that, like how Teddy was the vice chairperson of the club at the time of his death and he was just as involved and, and keen to make a difference as ever.
1: Finally, Dennis, I suppose how is Teddy McCarthy going to be remembered? Is it simply that he's going to be one of the greats?
7: Yeah, that, that's it. You know, it like his legacy. His legacy was was kind of assured from from a long way out because of winning winning um, winning the two medals in the same year, and then winning. He he won the All Ireland hurling in eighty six and the football in nineteen nineteen. You know, two two medals in each is a, a record that um, that any of us would, would give our would give our right arm for, and you know, it it, it stands it stands with. With, with any of the other, the other Cork greats and you know whenever anyone is kind of ranking the best players to play for Cork he'll, he'll always be in the, in the conversation
1: Excellent Dennis, thanks for joining us on the big red bench today
7: Ok, thanks Rory
1: Yeah, pleasure talking to Dennis Hurley there of the Echo about the late, great Teddy McCarthy. our condolences to his family and friends, may Teddy rest in peace Now we're going to talk golf because the big story this week was the shock announcement of a coming together of the PGA Tour, the Saudi backed public investment fund, who are the architects of Live and the DP World Tour. It's caused uh, some consternation in golfing circles this week. To try and make some sense of it all, Aidan has been speaking to golf reporter Dennis Kerman.
8: Is on the line to discuss the biggest story in world sport at the moment. I think it's fair to say the coming together of the PGA Tour, the, the PIF and uh, live in the DP World Tour and all the tours. Um, Dennis, I suppose like a merger probably, uh, merger has been used as a term by a lot of people, but is merger really the correct term for this?
0: Well, to be perfectly honest about it, Aiden, nobody really knows exactly how this is going to play out. I mean, last Tuesday morning, the PGA Tour and the Saudi Public Investment Fund, they merged uh, and it put an end to a conflict that had lasted Between 15 and 18 months and uh, the implications of the agreement are as yet unknown. Still very much in its formative stage and it was interesting that one of the architects of the uh, actual agreement, a guy by the name of Jimmy Dunn, who's a PGA Tour board member, and he's also a Wall Street titan, a very experienced businessman, he said the only way they could have got this deal done was to maintain the confidentiality and to have done it very, very quickly because there would have been no other way to do this, just literally to get in there decide, okay, we're going to do this, and we'll trash out the details of it later, and that's what's going to happen. The, the devil in the detail will, will will not become apparent for quite some time, I'd say.
8: Yeah, and obviously, look, there's a lot of politics in play here, and uh, you know, uh, like I, I've seen it myself. Obviously, I think the Newcastle United takeover has brought up a lot of questions for sports fans, and look, we even saw Man City win the win the Champions League last night as well, and it's a a similar uh, sort of a story. But Jimmy Dunn as well is an interesting player in all of this because he had a business in the World Trade Center, didn't he? And like he's he's with a lot of people facing questions about nine eleven and everything like that, you know. A man like him at the centre all of this, like he, it must be strange for him too. Yeah,
0: he he his is an interesting story. I mean, he he actually was lucky to avoid actually uh, dying on September 11th back in 2001 when he he actually had a game of golf arranged that day. So I guess he owes his life to golf in some ways and. Uh, you know, he he basically has said, look, you know, he lost over fifty of his colleagues that day. It's it's, it's unconscionable an un, un, unimaginable horror, to be honest. I I knew somebody similar myself who worked in the windows in the world there in the World Trade Center on the hundred and sixth floor, and they were lucky that their their child uh, got sick that morning and they arrived late to work and. Uh, Literally, the first plane had just struck, but they they lost ninety two of their colleagues, and like it's just the whole the scale of that is just obviously is 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 well documented and is tragic and uh, absolutely just unconscionable, as I say. But from Jimmy Dunn's perspective, I mean, Jimmy Dunn basically uh, just if I could kind of bring you back to kind of you know the the you know the, I suppose where how how they managed to get to this point, Aidan. I mean. Um you you know, when Liv was when when Live started up, obviously it took quite a few of the, the big name players like Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, and Brooks Kupka, a lot of the star names on, on on American on the on the PGA tour. And whereas Liv Golf itself hasn't really caught fire and it, it, it isn't really engaging that well with the public and, and they don't have a great platform. The the problem was is the PGA Tour in order to placate the remaining members and the, the jewels in their crown are the likes of Rory. McElroy and John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler. And if they lost any of those three players to, to, to live, they were going to be under pressure. And rumour has it that John Rahm was being lined up for a mega offer that he would find very, very hard to actually refuse. Now, the PGA Tour also had to create a series of elevated events with much larger price funds, instead of having $10 million price funds, they now have 17 events with a minimum of $20 million. And ultimately, that was probably not going to be sustainable in the long term. And then there was a series of lawsuits initiated, and they were costing vast amounts in legal sums. So ultimately, it was unsustainable in the long term for all the tours to operate independent of one another. And, you know, irrespective of, of, you know, obviously the the natural implications in terms of sports washing etc this was a deal that ultimately was probably going to go through and as I say, Jimmy Dunn is nothing if not not pragmatic and recognised that and they obviously decided that you know if you can't beat them you're going to have to join them
8: Yeah absolutely and like you touched on it there Liv is not really a serious player here I suppose it was more of a vessel for the Saudi PIF to, to get into the conversation in golf wasn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt. Like you mentioned the, the Newcastle-United deal, and that, and that indeed is an interesting one. That They, they agreed, they, the PIF effectively agreed a deal um, back in April 2020 to buy Newcastle from Mike Ashley, and they, they paid 300 million, or that was the agreed fee. But the deal wasn't sealed until 18 months later, approximately October 2021, after the Premier League received assurances that the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia would not... Control um, Newcastle United. Now there was a lot of opposition from Amnesty International to the takeover, stating the, stating the obvious that it was a blatant example of, of Saudi sports washing, etc., etc. But you know, with with all of the with all of the fault lines that had been created, obviously by the by the Live Tour for for the PGA Tour, they they were going to find it very, very hard to actually compete against them because this particular um, public investment fund that is, and in this case, there's a gentleman by the name of Yasser al-Rumayan. He is, uh, he's the governor of this Saudi uh, public investment fund and he's obviously the, the main player in terms of live. But this is a government-controlled fund, Aiden, and it's estimated to have $650 billion in assets. It's among the largest sovereign wealth funds in the world and it's very, very hard to compete against that type of might.
8: Absolutely, and if if they're running low, all they have to do is uh, decrease the output of oil for for a couple of weeks and uh, that'll restore their coffers like it's incredible. The world is kind of revolving around them at the moment. And for, for the lesser thought of DP World Tour then, is it is it good news for these guys? I'd be thinking, I suppose, particularly of our own John Murphy here in Cork. What, what would their thoughts have been? I suppose when they when they were reading all this.
0: Well, it was interesting that there was a player meeting uh, the night that this was announced uh, last Tuesday. There was a player meeting just before the Canadian Open, which is currently in progress, and uh, you remember, there were a number of speakers at it. And one was a gentleman by the name of Grayson Sig. Now, Grayson Sig is a kind of a, 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 essentially a journeyman pro who is probably struggling to keep his card every year but manages to do it and the, the, the PGA Tour is quite lucrative because if you manage to keep your card it means you've won over a million dollars in that particular year now there are expenses but you know you offset some of that with with sponsorship etc so effectively you you have a very very nice meal ticket with a PGA Tour card and what happened with a lot of these elevated events the, sh- the field starts to shrink slightly so, the lower end of golf is getting squeezed, and the reality is you can't fit two pints into a pint bottle, three into one doesn't go, and all of that and it's going to be really interesting to see how this actually all plays out out because you know ultimately you're going to have probably a mega league of golf and you're going to have maybe twenty of these worldwide events every year with elite fields and then everybody else is just going to have to manage to operate around that and to try and keep their heads above water. And it's not going to be easy for players who are getting squeezed at the lower end. And that's where a lot of the anxiety lies at present. And that's why there was that heated meeting where obviously the likes of Rory McIlroy and John and these guys don't have to worry about it. You know, their, their talent takes care of itself. That. You know, they're never going to be in a struggle to keep their card. They're, they're always going to be at the top table. But it's the guys who are lower down and trying to accommodate everybody. And as I say, getting all three groups, the DP World Tour, the, the PGA Tour and the Live Tour to come together and agree a structure. And I don't think they even have a clue how this is all going to play out as yet, Aidan, because Jimmy Dunn even said it in his interview. Look, we just decided, OK, let's do this. We announced we'd do it, and now we have to thrash out the detail.
8: And that could take some time, I would imagine. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, like you said, so many players, I suppose, have been thrown under the bus to an extent. Like, poor, poor old Rory McIlroy, you know. I, I suppose some people... Take enjoyment uh, out of out of uh, some of the situations he finds himself in. I think, to be fair to Rory, he's Rory's fairly down to earth. At the end of the day, I think what he did was quite right, sticking up for the PGA Tour, and he totally got thrown under the bus by by the the higher ups in the PGA.
0: Yeah, I mean, he had definitely become a staunch defender of the PGA Tour and there, there's no doubt he probably would have been stunned by the announcement, by by the, the speed of the announcement, as he had definitely taken a huge amount of shrapnel on behalf of Jay Monaghan on the PGA Tour over the past 12 to 15 months. Now, he did appear to have an inkling, Aidan, that there there was a move of foot in the background because he, he would be very f- friendly with Jimmy Dunn, but obviously Jimmy did couldn't even... You know, as I say, confidentiality was key here. He couldn't really break any confidences. But he phoned him, interestingly, early on that Tuesday morning to just, you know, clue him in or make him aware of the fact that this announcement was pending just as, as a courtesy. And, um, you know, I, I think I think McElroy was genuinely shocked that it happened so quickly. But at the same time, uh, you know, again, Rory, I, I don't know if you watched his press conference ahead of, of the Canadian Open. It was hugely impressive. I mean, he handled a very, very difficult situation with with great confidence and great eloquence. And uh, you know, he didn't pull his punches. He made statements like, "I hate live." He, you know, he, but he also, as I say, showed his pragmatic side in relation to the whole situation, and ultimately said this would benefit. And, and the key aspect of this, it's going to reunify the game of golf, which had become so fractured in, in the long term. And and that was important. And like, I have to say, I thought that was one of the most impressive news conferences uh, I've ever seen from a professional sportsman. I thought it was brilliant. And, you, you know, you mentioned that in, in, in this country, Rory tends to, you know, perhaps divide opinions. Some people really, really like Rory and some people have their reservations, I, I mean, generally, he's admired as a very, very smart guy who's one of the the greatest sports people. This. Country has ever produced, and I'd certainly be a, a, among those. I, I'm a huge admirer of them, but you know, there are some people who'd find it hard to give Rory credit if he ran into a burning building and saved 10 people, you know. But you can't please all of the people all of the time, and in fairness, Rory Mathelroy has always been his own man. And you know, he, as I say, if he has a point to make, he's not going to fudge it, he's going to tell you what he thinks, and whether you like it or not, you know. Th- Sometimes people don't like that directness, but I, I have to say I, I find it an endearing trait. In
8: them. Absolutely. Just to finish up then, the PGA have won the war to an extent, haven't they? They've they've come away with a, a lot of power and, like you said, most importantly, a lot more money because coffers were starting to run dry. I think a lot of people said that they weren't going to be able to sustain what they were at on, on, through to maybe midway 2024 with, with the elevated prize funds. So like they, like Jay Monaghan etc he's taking a lot of flack now but pretty good deal at the end of the day for, for them yeah yeah Absolutely.
0: I mean, the one name we haven't mentioned in all of this ain't extraordinarily is uh, is Greg Norman, who obviously was the one who basically, he he was the agitator. He was going in there and he was, you know, shaking the tree and he made all this happen for, for the PIF and, 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 and for the Live Tour. And again, you know, so the, the big question as you, as you kind of pose there is like, where to now for for all the different players in this? And, you know, there's a huge amount of bridges have to be mended with both individuals and organisations. We're going to, you know they're going to have to work out wh- wh- what roles are for various people. Like, wh- where does Greg Norman fit into the equation? How does Jay Monaghan get on? Does he become the overall chief executive of, of the entire tour? And he's very, very highly regarded as a businessman, uh, Jay Monahan. He he gets a, a lot of respect from his peers and and, and from the players he, he he represents. So I would imagine he will ultimately be the man at the you know at the helm of things. Then you're going to have to work out the compensation deals for those who remained loyal to the PGA Tour. That will all have to be thrashed out talking about the likes of Rory and John Ram and Scotty Sheffield, they stayed loyal while the others got vast amounts of money so there's going to have to be some sort of a balancing system there. The new structures will have to be agreed with, you know, as I say, all the new roles but you've also got to work out how this is all going to play out in, in, in on a day-to-day basis in, in, in actuality like the live idea didn't exactly catch fire with, you know, you forgettable names like the Cliques and the Rippers and the Crushers and the Fireballs. I mean, you know, I mean, nobody really cared less who won on any given week on, on the actual Live Tour and they certainly weren't gaining much traction. But how this all will play out and whether the PGA Tour decides to make a shift towards team golf again that you know that may be one of the, the prerequisites for the Saudis in, in order to kind of keep their own save their own face in relation to the deal and, and keep live alive to a certain extent so it does face a lot of challenges Aidan and uh, you know it's a case of how, how do you capture new fans and keep them entertained and how do you lower the age profile of, of those watching like I don't know if you're among those who maybe watch golf on a Sunday night but you know there's fewer and fewer watching golf for four rounds to see how the whole thing plays out so there's so much uh, to be ironed out and so much that has to be, you know, detailed over the next couple of months. And and, and this could take even longer. Uh, you know, yeah, the lads have said, yeah, that's great. Let's do it. But when you get down to the nitty gritty of trying to make it work, you know, that's when the real work
8: starts. Absolutely. I certainly tuned in last week anyway to see Victor Hovland uh, win the playoff. And if Rory goes well this evening, I'll uh, definitely tune in to watch as well. Dennis Corwin. And what is such a crazy enough subject? Thanks a million for explaining that to us, and uh, hopefully everybody listening has a, a better grasp of it all. Thanks a million for joining us on the big red bench.
1: Cheers Aidan. Yeah, great to hear from Dennis Kerwin there on that subject and certainly I certainly learned a lot just from listening to that conversation there with Aidan Rory McElroy is about to tee off in the next couple of minutes at the final round of the Canadian Open, looking to make it three wins in a row. He's on 12 under par. He's two shots behind the leader, CT Pan. That's it from us. Thank you very much indeed for tuning into the Big Red Bench this evening. We'll be back next Saturday and Sunday. From 6pm, our podcast will be online on RedFM.ie very, very shortly on the Go Loud app or from wherever you get your podcasts. The wonderful Mags Blackburn is up next with three hours of the best Irish music with Green and Red. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, folks.
7: The Big Red Bench, Saturday and Sunday from 6pm, Gorks Red FM.